So as God has given me uh, ideas for this, I'm thinking about, you know, what really got me hooked when I became a Christian because it's, um, I grew up in a denomination. I didn't really know, you know, who do I pray to? Do I pray to God? Do I pray to Mary? Do I pray to Jesus? Um, you know, and, and I know now we go, we go to God in the name of Jesus, right? But I wasn't quite sure. So what got me was the first chapter of John. And it says, in the beginning was the word. And I'm thinking, I remember God gave us a promise when Adam and Eve sinned that we would have redemption someday. So in that, I'm thinking, okay, so we've got that promise. And then we've got prophecy that tells us about it. Uh, some of it 700 years before the birth of Christ. And then we have God's word of that promise. So I'm reading John 1, and in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And all things were made that were made were made through him. I'm not reading this, I'm just going by memory, so if I get a few words wrong, uh, please forgive me. And then what really got me was verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I'm like, that's, that's got to be Jesus. You know, I get a little bit emotional about that. And the reason why is because that was the first time, man, that we could touch God. You know, and that's what really got me because I always knew that Jesus was the Savior, but didn't realize he was, and I knew he was, as reading this, that he is the Word, that he is the promise, but. I didn't know that he made everything. That's pretty heavy, you know? So here we are. We got prophecies of Jesus' birth. That's what we're going to start off with, okay? Because with me being a doubting Thomas, I'm the guy that's got to stick my finger in the hole where the nail was to believe, you know? And I'm a whole lot better than I used to be, believe me. But that was, so I, I needed to know, how do we prove this? Well, here's prophecies that I'm going to give you, and these prophecies we're going to have um, where they worked out in the New Testament. So not only was Jesus' birth prophetically revealed, but God had a plan, and, and we can prove the lineage of Jesus from the very beginning. And, and here's just a couple prophecies from Jesus' uh, birth and childhood. So in Genesis 12.3, oh great, they're up there. Um, the nations will be blessed through Abraham's lineage. So it goes on to say, I will bless those that bless you, I will curse those that curse you, um, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And, and isn't that true? If we just stop right there in, in Genesis 12, 3, are all of the nations of the earth blessed by what Jesus has done? Amen, yeah, he certainly has. Well, the fulfillment we find in Acts three twenty five through 26, and there's going to be a lot of page turn, and I apologize, but it'll get, get you some good exercise. And, and you are the heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to bless you by turning each of you away from your wicked ways. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to get a blessing, but we turn from our wicked ways first. And I think that that shows that repentance is important. You know, we come to God and just saying that you believe is good. But coming to God without repentance, there's a problem there. So, and I think we can see that clearly in Acts 3, 25 through 26. Now, God's covenant with Isaac's ancestors, we see the prophecy in Genesis 17, verse 19. 
Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And we see that fulfilled in Romans 9, 7, nor because there are his descendants, are they all Abraham's children? On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring shall be reckoned. The next point is that the nations will be blessed through Jacob's offspring. The prophecy is found in Genesis 28, verse 14. Everybody there? If you can't find it, it's to the left. All right. Your descendants will be like dust of the earth, and you will spread out uh, to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So he's... In Genesis, we're reading that, you know, north, south, east, west. And it says, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through your offspring. How would you like to have that promise made to you? You know, some people are just happy to have grandkids or uh, to see their kids grow up and become successful. And to find out that your offspring is going to bring blessings to all the people on the earth. How cool is that? So the fulfillment we see uh, in Luke 334, so you'll have to go over to the right, a couple of books into the New Testament. So Jacob is part of of Jesus' genealogy, and and in Luke 3, we see that whole genealogy of Jesus. It goes on to say that Jacob, uh, uh, the, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nabor, uh, is what we're talking about here. Now, um, the whole genealogy of Jesus, we're looking at this, if you go back to, you don't have to, but the beginning of verse 3 in Luke, we have a whole lot of hard-to-pronounce names, right, on? Um, I did a study in Luke 3 a few months ago, and I was doing it online, and I was having a hard time with some of the words, and then my mom sent me a private message later saying, I knew all those names. <laughs> I thought, well... I should have checked with mom before I did the study. <laughs> but uh, each name was a real person. And, and each of those real people further proves these prophecies to be true. You know, the Jewish people were meticulous with keeping track of things. And uh, genealogies were one of them. And we can go back and we can trace Jesus' lineage all the way back. How cool is that? That nobody can say that he's not the real deal. I, I don't understand how the Jewish people can't recognize it because they could read all the way back. But then again, the word says, too, that, that they're blinded, right? They have scales on their eyes. There are some that come to Christ, yes, of course, but, you know, in general. So if you're taking notes, and we don't have the scriptures up for this, but um, just follow along with me. We know that Jesus was of Jewish descent, and therefore he was the seed of Abraham. And in Genesis twenty two eighteen, you don't have to go there, but um, we're told that through Abraham's offspring, all nations in the earth will be blessed. And Christians believe, as we should, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. We also know that he is from the line of Jacob, uh, Abraham's grandson. In Numbers twenty four seventeen, if you're taking notes, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. So that leads me to my next point. Our next cross-reference will be Genesis 49, verse 10. 
So go back to the left, unless you got an iPad like me, you just push a few buttons. So the scepter will come through Judah, that's the prophecy. And our scripture says that the scepter will not depart Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. So we see a fulfillment of that in Luke 3.33. It almost seems like you can almost keep your finger in Luke, right? So in Luke 3.33, we have Judah being part of Jesus' genealogy. Now I'm going to probably goof some of these names up, so put your seatbelts on, all right? Uh, the, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, and the son of Perez, the son of Judah. That's Luke 3.33. So now we go to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. You guys are all going to yell at Dwight, aren't you? This guy made us turn all over the place. <laughs> Paul Mall's waiting to punch me in the stomach in the prayer room. Those of you that know Paul Mall just laughed. Those that you don't, get to know Paul Mall. He's a fun guy. Okay, 2 Samuel 7, 12-13. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise you up, I will raise up your offspring to secede you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So are you, I, I think I see some gears turning uh, on some of you when I, when I, when we read the, he is the one who will build a house for my name. Who are you thinking of? King David, maybe? That's where my mind's going. Okay, so we are going to go to um, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So from Isaiah 11.1, 1, you don't have to go there, but I'll just give you, if you're a note taker, at least you know where I'm coming from. We know uh, he is from the line of Jesse, the father of King David. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And in Jeremiah 23.5-6, we know that he is from the line of King David. The days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will rise up for David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and will do what is right in the land. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. So reaffirming that Jesus is from the line of King David, we have this prophecy from 2 Samuel, uh, uh, 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 13, which was actually spoken by Samuel to King David. Now, can, can you imagine um, Samuel talking to King David and he says, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom and he is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. These guys are getting these prophecies that they're uh, offspring that their descendants are going to have these great um, impacts on the world. And I was thinking about 
prophecy for a minute. I'm going to have you turn to Isaiah 7, 14 while I'm talking. And I'm thinking, you know, just think about any one of us, if we were going to sit down and write a prophecy right now. And I'm thinking about it, you know, uh, 30, 40 years ago, they thought in 2020 we're going to be driving around in space cars like the Jetsons, right? You know, you, you pull over by basically sprockets and you got your lunchbox and then, you know, your wife asks for money and she takes your wallet away, you know, if you ever watched the, the intro to that, that cartoon. And, um, you know, that hasn't changed, but no. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have space cars, right? I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you know, um, we would be not successful, would we? But here these prophets are telling these dudes that down the line, down the line, 700, 800, 1,000 years, whatever it is, that they're going to have a descendant that's going to make a difference for the whole world. You know, we could never have a prophecy like that, could we? Unless the Lord gave it to us. These men were no different than us, were they? They were just regular people, loved the Lord. And the Lord's given them prophecies. You know, they don't just come up with this stuff uh, randomly. So that further enforces my belief in what, that this is the real deal, that this is what God is, that God's talking to us and, and proving who he is through these prophecies. All right, if you're in Isaiah chapter 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So when I read that, I thought I need to look up when was Isaiah 7 written. So I did what every person does, get on the computer and start looking. And approximately 740 years before Jesus was born, this prophecy came through. Now this is almost as exact as you can get, isn't it? That the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. That's an unheard of thing. That would be like saying that, um, you know, we're going to do this thing and something totally uh, impossible is going to happen. Who would ever prophesy that? But this is something that, that God gave them. And, and, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Well, do you guys know what Emmanuel means? I bet a lot of you do. God with us, right? And what does verse 14 of John 1 say? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God with us. And uh, that just, I got goosebumps in my arms thinking about that. So we see that fulfilled back in Luke Chapter 1, if you want to go there. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now that's what Luke tells us. Now, the next prophecy that I want to talk about is that the Christ will be born in Bethlehem. Did you know that there's two Bethlehems in Israel? One of the Bethlehems is on the... uh, on the Galilee, and I forget how, I knew how to say it in, um, in Hebrew before I came here, and now I forgot, but <laughs> I'm not even going to try, but uh, there's two of them, so this one here, they're talking about Beth, Bethlehem Ephratath, and if you ever get to go to, to Israel with Dwight, and I've been twice, praise the Lord. We go to the shepherd's fields that overlooks Bethlehem, and it is incredible. And it's still there. And these kids that are farmers will come over, and they'll carry a goat or a lamb over to us. And, and uh, they only know one English word, and that's money. 
And so we'll give them some shekels and things like that, and then they let us, you know, pet the animals, and Dwight will give an awesome study as we're sitting on these rock ledges overlooking the fields where the shepherds would have been. And you can see Bethlehem in the background. And it's incredible. And, and every Bible study that you have there is at the site that it happened. And um, it's just incredible. We were supposed to go this November, but thanks to um, the COVID thing, it got canceled. So Lord willing, maybe next year in Jerusalem, right? So if, I, I highly encourage you, if you have a chance to go on the Israel trip, it's I always thought it was once in a lifetime, but I got twice in a lifetime, and I'm planning on going another time. Um, I would move there right now if I could get a job there and support my family. I liked it that much. Okay, so that, that other Bethlehem is, uh, is, is the Bethlehem Ephrathath. And through you, or though, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old and ancient times. Now, doesn't that kind of fit into the song that the worship team played? And the whole, I think the whole theme of the songs they played today kind of lend towards us looking towards Jesus coming and, and his birthday. And, um, I, boy, the songs are great today, I thought. Our next cross-reference will be Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. I normally go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and there's not a ton of cross-references, but this is kind of how the Lord laid it out for me. So there's lots of page turning today, and I'm not used to having to call the shots on that. So I appreciate your patience. So in the Matthew verses, uh, when he had called together all the people, uh, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the, Lord, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So from Isaiah 7.14, we know that he was born from a virgin, and therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and the virgin shall be with child and shall give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel. And the name Emmanuel means God with us, and it indicates the divinity of Jesus. And Jesus would be worshipped by shepherds from the deserts and the fields, and that foreign kings would present him gifts, uh, and that's revealed in Psalm 72, verses 9 and 10, where it says, May the desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba... And Saba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him, and all nations serve him. So then there was another prophecy. If you wanted to go to Hosea 11, verse 1, this prophecy says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So I know what you're all thinking. You probably remember what happened in Matthew Chapter 2, verses 14, 15, we'll take a look at it. Okay, Matthew 2. So he, Joseph, got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said, through the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. So when Jesus was born, King Herod slaughtered a number of children in an attempt to kill Jesus. 
And this is predicted in Jeremiah uh, verse, or chapter 31, verse 15. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And in response to this attempt on the life of Jesus, Joseph is warned in a dream to take Jesus to Egypt where they stayed until Herod died. And this is predicted in Hosea 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. There were some other things that happened with Egypt. Remember, um, I'm, I, I'm straying from my notes right now, and my, my mind doesn't work real good all the time. Uh, Joseph, remember Joseph got ended up in Egypt, and what started off as something horrible turned out to be a blessing? Yeah? Okay. I was in a car accident in June, and my, I got a brain injury, so sometimes I, I don't click, especially if I go off my notes, so I'm glad you guys said yes with that one. <laughs> okay, so here's something to blow your mind. A mathematician calculated the chance of any man fulfilling these prophecies, even down to the present time, to be one in, I, I don't even know how to say the number, it's 10 to the 17th power. So it's a one with, I think, 17 zeros after it. So how can anyone think that Jesus just happened to be in the right place at the right time? You know, we, we can't consider this a coincidence, can we? And to help visually comprehend the, these, these odds of probability, there's this dude named Peter Stoner. He was a chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena College. And he proposed that we would take, you probably have heard this before, but I think it makes a good illustration. Uh, take that many silver dollars, so that was, how many was it? 10 to the 17th power of silver dollars. Lay them across the state of Texas, and in doing so, we would find that they'd stack up across the state two feet deep. Has anybody ever driven through Texas? There's, there's a saying. You know, I, I was down there one time, I went to El Paso, and then my cousin lived in Fort Worth, and I thought, well, that'll be great. We'll go visit her on the way home. <laughs> I think it was 10 hours. <laughs> and when I got there, we went shopping, and they offered me a buggy. <laughs> Does anybody call shopping carts buggies other than Texas? So I, I learned some new words that, that, that trip. Um, and then I also learned the saying that the sun may rise, the sun may set, but you ain't out of Texas yet. It's it's that big. So now that now that I got your mind wrapped around the massiveness, it's not like Wisconsin where you could drive three or four hours and you're out of the state. This is huge, and and these 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 dollar uh, silver dollars are stacked two feet deep. That's that's a lot of silver dollars. Okay, so then what they would do is they would mark one of the silver dollars, and they would stir it up, and it would be somewhere in that two feet the size of Texas. And then you would blindfold some enthusiastic volunteer and tell him that he can travel as far as he likes to across Texas, but he must pick out that marked silver dollar. And that is how difficult it would be for one man to fulfill these prophecies, unless, of course, uh, he did it through the Lord, you know, divine appointment. Does that blow your mind? I mean, it does mine. Um, I'm, I'm picturing Scrooge Duck, and he's like, you know, backstroking through the silver dollars in Texas, you know. 
like on the cartoons with the gold and stuff. But I mean, two feet of silver coins, come on. The size of Texas. And that just one of those, would, that would be the chance of Jesus fulfilling all those prophecies unless the Lord was in it. Uh, that really, that really that, that blows my mind. So also this Peter Stoner guy, the chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy in Pasadena, he was passionate about biblical prophecies. And even just 48 of the 300-plus Old Testament prophecies, um, to, to just fulfill 48 of them, of the 300, uh, the odds jumped to 10 to the 157th power. So that's really crazy. And that's just the same chance that the prophets would have had of, of writing these prophecies um, if having them only come uh, true for only one man, if they, had, if they had their day to the present time proving uh, that they wrote using their own wisdom. I mean, if, if they wrote it under their own wisdom, the, the odds would even be harder, wouldn't they? So no, that really kind of shows us where, where God is in on all this. So of over 300 prophecies about Jesus fulfilled, the ones that we just read about are just a, a small uh, what was it, six or seven of them? Um, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and he was preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist. That he entered Jerusalem on a donkey. He was betrayed by a friend who received 30 pieces of silver. That Jesus was silent before his accusers, and he died in a manner that the Romans used for criminals, the crucifixion. Uh, during which time they pierced his hands and his feet. That's a lot of prophecies. There's a lot of proof there that Jesus is who he said he was and that he is the real deal. So God, God's promise to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15 was the first promise of the Savior. And if we need any more proof that Genesis 3.15 speaks of the first gospel promise, all we need to do is look at uh, Satan's actions after that promise was given. You know, he was engaged in a relentless but futile effort to destroy the ancestral line of the Messiah and then to kill the Christ child himself. Satan understood what God's promise in Genesis 3.15 was all about and how awesome it is that God gives sinners one promise of a Savior after another. And then in God's perfect timing, he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to his sonship. That means that we can become a child of God through Jesus. How awesome is that? And it's that, that gift that he has for us, that he has outstretched hands, and he's just waiting to give it to us, and waiting for us to take it. In Genesis 3, the seed is to be understood as either one individual or a group of people whose appearance would be uh, sometime in the future, and it was a promise of someone or some people to come. So the seed of the woman begins with Abel, the second son of Adam and Eve. Cain, the first son, would not qualify because he murdered Abel. And with Abel dying, I think Eve realizes that Abel was part of the fulfillment of the promised seed. Of, uh, and, and notice that Eve, upon the birth of the third son, mentioned Seth, it seems to show that she understood Abel as part of the fulfillment of the promise. So we're going to take a look at that. I don't remember if I gave the, uh, the Genesis 425 
cross-reference? No? Okay, good. You guys got another freebie. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth, for God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, who Cain killed. So Abel was part of that, but then Eve realized that the Lord provided uh, Seth to keep that line going. And the ultimate seed of the woman would be Jesus himself. So we have in Genesis 3.15 the first promise of a redeemer. And it's the beginning of a long line of prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, the promised one, would be from the woman's seed, an indication of the eventual virgin birth of Christ. So we have prophecy, we have a promise, and we have the word. So now I'm going to make it uh, easy for you to go to John uh, chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, like I said, this is what really got me when, when I became a believer uh, as to who Jesus was. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now, let's just pause for a moment there. And I'm thinking about, a lot of people can't wrap their mind around the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How can we have three, three gods in one? And it's pretty simple. When I'm talking to bikers, they understand what an egg is, right? And I say, we got an egg here. And there's three parts to that egg. There's the shell, and there's the white, and there's the yolk. And there's three parts in one. It's one egg. Well, then I usually get the question, well, which one is which? Which part of the egg is which God? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> you thought I was going to have something fun to say about that, didn't you? I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, that's what somebody in Sunday school would have to deal with, too. Is like, you know, we want to know which part. Well, let, let's focus on just the one egg and the three parts to it. That makes things easier. And God the Father uh, had... God the Son, Jesus, the Word, make everything that was made. That blows my mind. And that, to me, shows me how important the, 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 the part of the Godhead that Jesus is, is. Not only is he our Savior, but he's also our Maker. You know how we love our mom and dad? You know how we love our, our kids as mom and dads? And a lot of times we just love mom and dad because they made us. Because they've always been there for us. And, and our kids love us as moms and dads, and we love our kids. Think about the love that we should then have for our own maker. Because he cared enough to take time to make each one of us and make us individually and make us different and make us with certain blessings that we have to bless others. And uh, that just really uh, gets to me when I think about that, that my Savior is not only my Savior, but he's also my maker. All right, let's pick it back up in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. How sad is that? The light is there, and it wasn't comprehended. It, nobody, there's certain people that didn't get who he was. But... John the Baptist witnesses that true life, or that true light, in verse 6. There was a man sent from God, 
whose name was John. Now, the first time that John witnessed who Jesus was, John was in the womb, man. You remember that story? That he, Mary and, and uh, I believe it was Elizabeth met each other. I'm going off my notes again here, so hopefully the brain keeps working. Mary and Elizabeth meet each other, and John jumps for joy in the womb. The first witness of who Jesus was. And can you imagine what, how Mary's confidence must have been built in who she, that all the things that have been prophesied to her, that this, this has got to be real, that this incredible thing is happening. So there was a man, a man sent from God whose name was John, and this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. And he was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And, and to me, that's sad if we stop there for a moment. The world did not know him. But think about the Pharisees. They had all the evidence right in front of them, and they didn't recognize who Jesus was. And that really goes to show religion versus relationship, doesn't it? When I grew up in a denomination, it was religion. I could, I could tell you every single word to the Catholic Mass. You know, I used to be an altar boy. I wasn't a very good one. But <laughs> all that stuff, but that, I was doing religion. And when I got saved and I came here, you cannot believe uh, the emotions I went through, finding out that I can know that I can go to heaven and that I can be saved. And, and how awesome is that? Now I have a new hope. Because before I was always hoping that I would be good enough, that I did enough good deeds. And... and the Pharisees are going through this thing where they're doing religion too, and they're not recognizing who Jesus was. And I was not recognizing who Jesus was either, doing religion. But when the relationship thing comes in, now I'm no longer the natural man, but I'm the spiritual man, and I'm able to discern these things. And ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's part of your job as a believer to share that with other people so that they can become a spiritual man or woman as well and that they can know who Jesus is in, in a personal way, in a saving way. It's not just the preacher's job. In fact, usually when people find out that you're a preacher, they kind of start walking real fast in the other direction because they don't want to get preached to. So how do you preach to your friends and family? You know, people are watching you if they know you're a Christian. They're going to watch what, what, what you do and how you roll and how you handle business and how you handle your family, how you deal with others. That's the first part of it. And when they have a respect for you and they realize that you're the real deal, when they have a problem or a heartache in their life or suffer a loss, you'll be the first one they'll talk to. And they may say, how do you hold it together all the time? And you can tell them about Jesus and your relationship with him, that you're not doing religion. You're not coming to church on Sunday for... So people, the neighbors see your car in the church parking lot and they think you're a good person. You're coming here because you want to know the Lord. Because you want to enhance that relationship with Jesus. To know him more. To fellowship with other believers that are like-minded. See what happens when I get off my notes. 
All right, so he was the light sent to bear, um, true light which gives every man uh, coming into the world, and he was in the world. Okay, so they did not receive him. That's where we left off. So verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So that's telling us we have the right to become children of God. And I, I call that a privilege as well. Uh, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, this is the one I got goosebumps again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, the first time we could touch God. The first time, I'm thinking about the woman that touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus felt power go out of him. She touched God and she was healed. How awesome is that? And we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You know, we think about the grace that God has for us, and thank you for that, God, and the long-suffering. And um, sometimes I see some of my friends and what they've been through, and when they get saved, and I'm thinking, I wonder what their guardian angel looks like. He's got to be really beat up, you know. <laughs> Especially because a lot of my buddies are bikers and stuff like that. And, um. Maybe they've got a couple of them. Maybe they're tag-teaming or something. I don't know. But the Father full of grace. But even more than that, it says that the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. And I think the truth is even a bigger one because in your life, what do you base your truth on? Do you base your truth on, on your money or do you base your truth on what somebody told you or your traditions? Or do you base your truth on the Bible and God's word. And if you base your truth on the Bible and God's word, you'll always do well because this is all truth in here. And the prophecies prove it over and over. And it says here in verse 14 that, that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. We need that. And thank you, Lord, for it. And full of truth. We absolutely need that. More than ever, there is so much deception in this world today that you can't turn on the TV and know if they're telling you that the sky is red today. It, it might be. It might not be. It's probably not. It's probably going to be blue or gray, gray today. Um, but somebody's going to believe it's red because the news told them that. So you need to have a basis of truth that you could go to that you know is completely dependable. And I find that in God's word. And I base everything. That's uh, my plumb line. And you can never go wrong with that. In verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes before me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Well, John the Baptist was older than Jesus. How can he be before him? Well, he can be before him because we go back to the beginning. In the beginning was the word, right? And the word was God and the word was with God. So if Jesus was in the beginning, he was before John the Baptist. In verse 16 it says, And his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So there it is again. The law was given through Moses, but we can't keep the law, can we? The law just shows us that we fall short. And without the law, how would we know 
if we were going um, through Appleton and the speed limit was, we figure probably 35 on like sort of a, you know, one of those roads that's four lanes. But let's say it was 25 and we got pulled over. Without a sign there, we wouldn't know it was 25, would we? But we'd still be guilty of breaking the law. Well, the law was something, the law was that speed limit sign, more or less. Easy way to put it. But with Jesus, we have grace. I want grace. I don't want the law. I want to be under grace. I don't know about you guys. So I can't do the law. Um, I don't think I speeded, sped on the way here, but I may have. (laughs) Uh, Not on purpose, but because I have grace and and I don't try to do it. And of course, if I did speed, Lord, forgive me. Um, He is there to forgive us if we come to him in repentance. And, you know, obviously if I speed it on purpose every day, then there's no repentance there, is there? So set the old cruise control at, you know, maybe there's like five miles of grace. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Dwight's going to, I'm going to get punched in the stomach for that one, I think. Um, right, but so truth is, uh, is something to me that's really important. The grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has declared him. So nobody's seen God, but Jesus has declared him. Jesus showed us, you know, the person... Uh, that person that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God fully expressed himself to mankind in the person of the Lord Jesus. Remember he said, if, if you want to see the Father, you've seen me. And by coming, in, uh, by coming into the world, Christ has perfectly revealed to us what God is like. And by dying for us on the cross, he has told us how much God loves us. So Christ is God's living word to man, the living expression of God's thoughts. Now with the coming Christmas season, um, it seems like everybody's got to focus on running around and buying gifts and commercialism. And um, I've been putting off going to the eye doctor for some time. And I finally decided I would make an appointment and the appointment was on a Friday, and I had the afternoon off from work. What I didn't realize, and it was at the mall, by the way, which I avoid unless I'm going to Shields. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I find out that the day that I get there, that it's Black Friday. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a man who loves to avoid crowds. <laughs> so um, it, was, it was pretty crazy. The commercialism, you know, and everybody's there on a mission. Everybody's in a hurry. Um, not a lot of smiles. And, and I'm thinking, you know, this isn't what Christmas is about. And the hustle and the bustle and making sure that you have a gift for everybody. And, and it, it's, it's overwhelming, isn't it? And, and in these days, too, we don't know, are we going to get together with our family? Are we not going to get together with our family? All the different things. Um, I feel like I'm together with my family today, so praise the Lord for that, my, uh, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. So I'm, I'm, my question in my mind was, what is Christmas all about? So then as I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about my message today, 
And as we've gone through all the different prophecies, and there, there's a lot more out there. I just touched a few of them. What comes to my mind is, the, have you ever watched Charlie Brown Christmas? And, and they're giving Charlie Brown a really hard time about his tree and, and all the commercialism and all the things, and Charlie Brown ends up saying, does anybody know what Christmas is all about? Well, if we could roll the video... Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. So there you have it. Even the, even the kids in the cartoons know. Uh, hopefully they keep airing that. I've heard that they weren't going to do it this year, but hopefully that is aired and aired and aired. Um, and that's what it's all about, a Savior, Christ the Lord, being born. And he's here and he's got a gift for each and every one of you if you haven't received it already. And if you're not sure if you're saved, when I talk to bikers, I have to keep it simple. Three R's. Number one, you have to um, realize that, you, that, that you're a sinner and that you have a need for a Savior. And then the second R is Repent. I usually tell the guys, you need to slam on that rear brake and lay some rubber on the road and turn around and go in the other direction. And after you've realized and you repented, you need to receive. You need to receive that gift. Remember, the Lord isn't an angry God that's pointing his finger at you, but the Lord is a God that's loving, and he's got his hand outstretched, two hands outstretched, and he says, I have a gift for you, please take it. And, and ask me into your heart. And in coming to him in realization and repentance and receiving, you can be a child of God and be born again. And that, folks, is what Christmas is all about. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all the folks that are here today and those watching online. Lord, thank you for sending your word into this world, Lord. And I thank you that we can know him and know you in a personal way. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for all the blessings that you have. And Lord, for uh, anybody in this church or watching, Lord, that might be having a hard time in life or with employment or with a relationship or whatever it might be, Lord, you know. And for all the unspoken prayers, Lord, we just lift those up to you today. We love you and we thank you. We pray that you bless and protect this church. We pray that our pastor would return refreshed and uh, just ready to, to, to go. And we thank you for the Christmas time coming up. 
Pray that you'd bless the rest of our day in the name of Jesus. Amen.